Good morning. I am glad to be here with you today. I hope you're glad to be here. We've come together to worship the Lord, and there's a lot of different things that people could be doing today, but I think it's a good thing to be here worshiping God, our Creator who's given us life, given us our families, given us all the blessings that we have, and gives us the strength to handle the problems that we face and the burdens that come along with life. So I hope you're excited to be here today. I want to talk to you about a passage out of the book of Ephesians chapter 3. You know, we're doing what we call preacher's choice lessons right now. That is, it's not a particular series, but each man gets to choose what he wants to speak on, what he believes is on his heart from the Word of God to talk to people about. And I really struggled with this. I had a whole bunch of false starts. I had a sermon that I've been working on off and on for about 25 years. And I said, this is going to be the time. And I worked on it and it's, it's not the time. It's just not, not coming together yet. But when, if it ever gets done, it's going to be a good sermon, but not right now. But this passage, as I was reading in scripture, struck my mind and my heart a little bit. You know, I've been thinking personally in my life a lot about prayer. And um, this is a prayer. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays about the church at Ephesus. And, uh, you know, when I travel, and I'm gone a fair amount, right? A lot of times, y'all come to church and Where's Michael this week? Well, he's off in Oklahoma or he's here or there, Nigeria or somewhere. You know, when I'm gone, I always think about church here. In fact, I've got the little uh, camera set up that uh, John set up for us. And sometimes I turn on the camera and watch y'all show up at church in the mornings. Uh, I think about the church here. I love the church here. This is my home. You guys are my family. And I pray for you. I pray for the church here. And I think about Paul's prayer, and Paul says some, some, what I think are just fascinating and amazing things when he writes this passage and tells them about this prayer that he's praying for them. He starts off the prayer with this phrase. He says, For this reason I bow my knee to God. What reason? Did Paul bow his knee to God in this passage? Well, if you back up and read the verses before, there's the reason right there that he bowed his knee to God. That's a whole bunch of words, isn't it? There's a couple of things I want to point out to you out of this. He says those things right there. He said, God called me the least of the apostles to go preach to the Gentiles. And I get to take the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. I get to preach as I travel and go, and I get to tell people about the manifold wisdom of God. Where I get to get manifold means lots of facets. Just the wisdom of God, in many faceted wisdom of God. I get to tell people about that. But when you do that, you get persecuted. You're going to have trouble. You know, Jesus promised persecution to us if we were faithful to Him. And Paul was being persecuted. And Paul said, don't lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He says, don't get discouraged 
when you hear things are going bad for me. Don't get discouraged when you hear I'm in trouble and I've been persecuted. He's getting put in prison and he's being beaten and stoned and all the things that were happening to him. He says, don't get discouraged about that. For this reason, I bow my knee to God. He says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. And then He goes ahead to tell us what He's asking God to grant them. He says, I bow my knee to God. Do you know what that means to bow your knee? Do you ever do that when you talk to God? You ever bow your knee? They say, well, Brother McCorkle, I've done a little study on that. And you know, in the Bible, they had all different kinds of, of physical postures when they prayed. Sometimes they sat, and sometimes they stood, and sometimes they lifted their hands up, and sometimes they fell down flat on their face. And, okay. Do you ever bow your knee to God? You ever get by your bed and just get down on your knees and talk to God? Why would you do that? Why would anyone do that? Because we as human beings have a problem with being arrogant. We as human beings have a problem with thinking we're something when we're nothing. I've got that problem and you've got that problem. We've all got that problem. And getting on your knees in front of God is saying to Him, You are and I'm not. You are all that and I am all nothing. Do you get on your knees in front of God? A lot of times when we say a prayer at church, somebody will say, Humble yourselves in some manner, right? We hear that phrase, that's like the uneven journeys of life phrase, you know. One of the things we hear over and over. Humble yourself in some manner. Do you bow your head during prayer? Why? Because you're humbling yourself. You're bowing your head that He's greater and I'm not. He says, I bow my knee to God because this is something that is very, very important. And he has five things that he asks God for for this church. And these are five things I want to ask God for for our church. These are five things you need and five things I need. And I want you to ask God for these five things for me. And I'll ask God for these five things for you. Because these are five important things for every Christian to have. And I want you to know right now before we get into it, none of it has to do with money. And none of it has to do with health. And none of it has to do with good fortune. But all of it has to do with stuff that's more important than that. Number one, he says, he says, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might. I know some things about you. I know that you've got a lot of enemies. Did you know you have enemies? I said, well, there's a guy or two who didn't like me when we were in high school, but 
No, I mean you've got enemies. The devil wants to destroy your home. The devil has angels that serve him that want to destroy your soul. You have enemies and they're cunning and strong. They're real and they're after your children and they're after your grandchildren. And you need strength. You need strength to fight these enemies. You have trials that are going to come into your life. Sometimes they're big trials and sometimes they're small ones. But you've got trials that are going to come into your life. If you live very long at all, you're going to have trouble and problems and trials in your life. And these trials, I'm going to tell you, some of them are going to be too great for your natural strength. You're not going to be able to handle them. You may be, you know, the rich young ruler. I mean, you may have your, you have life by the throat, but you're going to get a realization that you won't always have life by the throat. You're going to have temptations. Did you know you will be? Yes, you do. Did you know? Of course you know. You're going to be tempted to sin today. Today, you will be tempted to sin. You'll be tempted to be dishonest just a little bit with someone when they ask you a question. You'll be tempted to look at another person with envy or jealousy or lust. You're going to be tempted today. You'll be tempted to not do something or not say something that you know you should do or say. Or you'll be tempted to do or say something that you know you should not do and you should not say. Today you will be tempted. And I want you to know you'll be tempted above your human power to resist. Maybe not today, but you will be tempted above your human power to resist. You're not strong enough. You can't. He's the devil. He's an angel, a cast down angel who's existed for Who knows how long since God created him? Before the creation of the world, he's been tempting people. You don't have the strength to hold up to that. You need divine strength. You need strength and power. You need to have might. You know, we talk about somebody being mighty. Every time Dusty works on our computers, I make him mad because I call him the mighty nighty. <laughs> he doesn't like that. Oh, I'm not mighty. He's not. He's not mighty. He just does a good job on the computer. You need to be mighty in the Lord. And Paul says, you know what? I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you'll be mighty. Because when you face these trials, when you face this enemy, when you face these temptations, you need to be strong. You need to be strong. Because it matters, makes a difference. He goes ahead then and he says, he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Does Christ dwell in your heart today? Does He? Christ dwell in your heart? Paul prayed for this church that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. 
No, you are a temple, a dwelling place for the Almighty God. In the Old Testament, they built temples, right? They had the tabernacle first, which was this tent, and it had these rooms, and inside one of the rooms was the Ark of the Covenant, and Matt's given us a whole series of lessons on that and what all that represented. The reality for you and me is we don't have a temple that we go to today. This is just a church building. It's not a temple, right? Nobody got up this morning and said, well, let's go to temple, (laughs) because we don't go to the temple. We are the temple. You see, as Christians, God dwells in us, in you and I. And if you recall back in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when Solomon built this temple that was David's idea, David said, Lord, I dwell in a big fine palace, and you're the real king, I need to build you a temple. Because the Lord's dwelling in a tent. And God said, David, no, 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 no. He said... The earth is my footstool. I don't need a temple. I don't need a building. However, even if I did want a building, you're a man of war. I wouldn't want a man of war to build me a house. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor your heart in this. And I'm going to allow you to gather the materials and I'll let your son build me a temple. And his son Solomon built a temple, the most fabulous building on earth. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when he got that temple done, Solomon prayed that God would come in and dwell in that temple. That's what's going on right here. Paul is laying that foundation. Paul is building on that. Paul is setting up people to be right with God. Their hearts and their lives are a temple of God now. And he says, Christ will dwell in you. I'm praying that Christ will dwell in your hearts. He did the same thing Solomon did. Lord, please come in and dwell. Dwell right here through faith. Does Christ dwell in your heart through faith? Or are you too busy? Too busy taking care of business. You know, school's about to start for those of us who still have kids of school age. Right, Jacob? School's about to start. He's not excited about that. But it gets busy in our house when school starts. I suspect that you're pretty busy in your life, aren't you? Jason and Tara just sold their house and bought another one. They're busy all the time. Yancey got a promotion at work. He's busy all the time. Corey and Aaron just started a business. They're busy all the time, aren't you? Some of us are taking care of loved ones that need help. Busy all the time. Are you so busy that your heart and your life is filled with all this stuff instead of your heart being filled with Christ? If you are, you're too busy. You're too busy because all this stuff doesn't matter if we don't have a heart filled with Christ. Paul knew that. You see, Jesus is worth more than your business. Jesus is worth more than your house. Jesus is worth more than your family. Jesus is worth more than your health. 
Jesus is worth more than your freedom. Jesus is worth everything, isn't He? Don't we sit here and pay lip service to that idea, right? That's true. Jesus is worth more than everything that has our attention in our lives. And Paul prays for that. You know what? I want you to pray for me that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith, that I don't get so busy even with the business of church work. You know, you can get busy with the business of church work. You can. And that doesn't mean Christ is dwelling in your heart. I want you to pray for me that Christ dwells in my heart through faith. And I'll pray that for you. Another thing he says, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. The root, he says, I want you to root in love. That's why I've got a picture of dirt in the shape of a heart. Isn't that that amazing what you can find? You grow in your roots in love or are you growing your roots in ambition? Are you growing your roots in love or are you growing your roots in selfishness? Grow your roots in love. The roots grow in the soil and you know what the roots get from the soil? They get nourishment, don't they? They get what it takes to make them thrive and be healthy and live. They get that from the soil. He says, I want your roots to be in love. I tell you what, that's not easy to do all the time. Sometimes I struggle with that. Sometimes I get cynical. Do you ever get cynical? Yeah? You know, I get in here and I try to counsel somebody and I show them what the Bible says and I talk to them about it and they sit there and they nod and they, yeah, and then they go right out and don't do a bit of it. And I get cynical. I go, ha, why waste your time? I know. Shake your head. How pathetic is that? But when your roots are in love, if you love each other, That's where your roots are. You really love each other. It does matter. It matters when my roots are in love. And it changes the way I deal with people. I'm not so harsh when my roots are in love, you know? It may be true about you, but I'm not as motivated to say it (laughs) if my roots are in love, you know? Well, that's just the way they are, though. Yeah, maybe. But if I love them, why dog them about it? Try to help them instead of talk about what a sorry, no good they are. If your roots are in love, you don't say, been three Sundays since they've been to church. Hmm. Is that really the attitude that we have? Or is it an attitude of love? Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you also love one another. You know, the command in the Old Testament was to love one another. That wasn't a new command. Why did Jesus say it was new? A new command I give to you. Why do you think He said it was new, Kent? 
Because it was new because He taught us how to love each other the way He loved. That's what was new. A new command I give to you that you love one another even as I have also loved you. Jesus loved us in a way that He taught us to love everyone else. That's what was new about it. The second thing here, he says, rooted and grounded in love. Grounded is an architectural term. You're something that's grounded. It's on a solid foundation. It's something that's not going to be moved. It's going to be solid. And he says, I want you to be grounded in love. You know, if your home is grounded in love, you're going to withstand the storms that are going to come. They're going to come, but you'll withstand them if your home's grounded in love. Love for one another. Not, I'm not talking about love for yourself here. I'm not talking about selfishness. If you're grounded in love for that other person, you don't care about you getting yours all the time and you being treated right, you being respected, and you be You forget about you and you care about those around you. Most notably, your spouse and your children. That's what rooted and grounded in love. You know, Paul said, I pray for you to be rooted and grounded in love. You know what? I pray for you. I want you to love each other. I want you to love me. I want to love all of you. I want us to be rooted and grounded in love. Next thing he says is to comprehend. He prays that they will comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Isn't that something? He says, I want you to know the breadth or width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Do you know how wide God's love is? How wide is God's love? Three miles wide? Twenty miles wide? A billion miles wide? How wide is God's love? God's love is wide enough for all mankind. His love is wide enough for the people in America, the people in Denton, the people in China, the people in Russia, the people in Nigeria and India, the people in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Syria. God's love is wide enough for black people and white people and red people and yellow people and green people. All people. That's how wide God's love is. He says, I want you to know. I want you to get a grip. I pray that God will help you understand how wide God's love is. Because you know what? My love doesn't always get that wide. How about yours? Aren't there some times that your love isn't quite that wide? It's how wide His is. How long is God's love? You know how long God's love is? God's love is long enough to last for all eternity. Just go on forever and ever. He doesn't get tired of loving. He doesn't get fed up with it. He doesn't say, you know what, I've done it long enough. I'm tired of it. No, 
Because God's love lasts forever and ever and ever. How, how deep is God's love? Oh, high. High is the next one. How high is God's love? I don't know. Jacob flew on an airplane this week. They flew, what, 20 or 30, 40,000 feet? I don't know how high they flew. Was God's love all the way up there where he was? There's people in the ISS, International Space Station, two or three hundred miles out in space. Is God's love high enough to go all the way out there and include them? God's love is high enough to take you to heaven. God's love's high enough to reach all the way to heaven for all of us. And how deep is it? I'll tell you how deep it is. God's love is deep enough to reach the vilest sinner. God's love is deep enough to save the people you don't think need saving. The people I don't think need saving. That's how high and wide and deep and long God's love is. It's unspeakable. It's unimaginable. He says here that it passes knowledge. It's a love that passes knowledge. You go, why would anybody love like that? And yet Paul wants you and I to know it. He prays that the church will know this love. I want you to look at a couple of verses Paul spoke about this love. He said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He said, I want you to think, what what can you say? If God's on your side, what can you say? I mean, if He gave you His Son, why would you doubt that He'll give you everything you need? Why would you ever question Him or doubt Him if He gave you His Son? Do you believe He gave you His Son? Then why would you doubt Him? What else is there to do to prove His love? Paul also said this about the love of God. He said, who shall separate us from the love of God or love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, there is nothing that can take you away from God's love. That's how great it is. That's how unimaginable it is. Now, my love isn't quite that great, I don't think. But God's love is. You. And you know what? The beauty of this passage is that God, this is true, and God knows this, and this is His character and the way He is, even though He knows what you did Friday night. Even though He knows what you did last week. He knows every bit of that. And He still loves you this way. 
Now don't get me wrong, He doesn't excuse the sin, but He loves you. And no other created thing, nothing will ever get between God's love and you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? We can all quote that verse. Why, why is that such a popular verse? Because God loved the world. While we were yet sinners, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet His enemies, Christ died for us. That's what His love is. And Paul says it's, it's a love that passes knowledge. It passes understanding. It's the kind of love that we acknowledge and we approve of even though it passes our comprehension. I just know. You know, you take a little child, a little baby, and that baby knows when it's loved. It can't explain love to you. It has no idea. I've, I've said many times, I'm so thankful that God allowed me to have children while my parents were still alive. Because I didn't know how my parents loved me until I had my own kids. I didn't understand that. I mean, I knew their love, right? I knew about it. I experienced it. But I didn't get it. And Paul is praying, I want you to know this love. Even though it's unknowable, I want you to know the love of God. You're rooted and grounded in it. I want you to know it. I want you to know how wide and broad and high and deep it is. Because it's... Unlike the songs where we exaggerate our love for one another, oh, my love is deeper than the deepest ocean and higher than the sky, and you know, those songs, all of that's just exaggeration. But God's love is that. That's not just an exaggeration, that's a description of His love for you and me and all of us. And then He says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, that to me is, is a wonderful sentiment. He says not that I want you to be filled with God, although that's good. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, that would be great to be filled with God, right? But He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, I want you to be filled with the fullness of God, because that would be amazing, Right? I mean, I'm not just filled with God. I'm filled with the fullness of God. That would be amazing. No. He says, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. I'll tell you what, that's unspeakable. What a prayer. What a thought. What is all the fullness of God that He wants you and I to be filled with? What do you think? Something to think about, isn't it? I wonder what he means there, all the fullness of God. I know what part of it is. Part of it is his description of what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit produces in my life. Are you filled with that? Are you filled with the fullness of that? Are you filled with all the fullness of that? Or are you having a hard time staying awake? Are you filled with all the fullness of that? 
He closes and he says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He says to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Exceedingly abundantly. You know what that means? That means there aren't words in the English language to express this idea. There is no way. Exceedingly abundantly more. I've never had exceedingly abundantly more. I've had a bunch, but I've never had that much. Right? More above all that we ask or think. You know what? Kids can ask for a lot. We can ask for a lot, can't we? Spencer can ask for a lot, can't he? Yes, he can. We can ask for a whole bunch. He says more than, exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask. Or even think. Even imagine. What's the grandest thing you can imagine? I don't know. Got a couple of pictures there. I've seen a beautiful beach in the Caribbean. Pretty awesome. I mean, pretty better than I can imagine. I've walked through the Redwood Forest in California. Wow. I just can't fathom anything more wonderful. If God's able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than that. But you know what He's talking about? He's talking about in this church. In that church, He says, I'm praying for you... These five things, so that God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly for you in your church more than you can ask or imagine. What can you imagine about this church? I can imagine some pretty good things. God's able to do more than that. Exceedingly abundantly more than that. So as a result, he says, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church, right? Right now, to Obama be glory in the White House. To Tony Romo be glory in the football stadium, right? To Michael Jackson be glory in the music world. I know he's dead. I can't think of a popular musician right now. But to God be glory in the church. Glory in the church. When you sing, glorify God in the church. If you preach, don't want people to walk out of here going, man, that was a powerful sermon. Want people to walk out of here going, man, that was about a powerful God. Because the glory goes to God. Glory in the church is God's. All the glory for thine be the glory and the power and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Glory belongs to God. And he says in Jesus Christ, or by Jesus Christ to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is worth more. Jesus Christ, the glory goes to God and it's in Jesus Christ and He is worth more than anything and everything you've got. I want you to know, 
I consider all of you here my friends. I think I know everyone who's here this morning. We don't have any, any visitors. I consider all of you my friends. Some of you are really close friends. We've spent a lot of time together through the years. Been through some, some things. I love all of you. But I don't love any of you more than I love Carrie. She's my closest friend. She's the one that I want to talk to every day. She's the one who's really been through the fire with me and for me. She's the one. Do you know what? As much as I love her, and she knows I say this, she's just a wife. I expect when I die, she'll hold my hand when I take my last breath. I hope so. For my sake. (laughs) But she's not going to cross the river with me. Only my Savior does that. And He's worth more than everything. He's worth more than all of it put together. And that, I believe, is Paul's prayer. His summary is this. He prayed that you would have strength through God's Spirit for the battles that you fight. You will be indwelled with Christ, that He will live in you through faith. He prayed that you would be rooted and grounded in love, that love would be that motivator. It would be where you get your direction and your strength and your motivation for life. He prayed that you would know and begin to comprehend this great love of Christ that's so beyond understanding. And He prayed that we would be filled with the fullness of God. I pray those things for you today. And I ask you to pray those things for me. And I ask that you look in God's Word and learn of His wonderful love. And make that real in your life as you live. If there's any spiritual need you have, we do offer a song of invitation if you make that need known while we stand and sing.